came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. We have Queens District Attorney Melinda Katz. Well, she's taking a lot of guns off the street, but she's got some big announcements. And we have Joshua Eisen running against Kirsten Gilderbrand for Senate in New York State. Paul Zuber on all the laws they're trying to pass to make business more difficult in New York. Steve Cates, when you look up in the sky, what are we going to see? David Patterson, what's going on in New York City and New York State? Gordon Chang, what's going on in the Far East? There's a lot of interesting things happening. And let's start the show with Michael Stoller on an update on New York real estate. Good morning. This is Mike Stoller for the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. This morning I have my favorite interviewee, somebody who I've been interviewing for the past 21 years, and he always provides me insight for the upcoming year. I have Bruce Moslu, who's the chairman of Global Brokerage at Cushman & Wakefield, and at one time was the president and CEO of Cushman & Wakefield. King keeps the job for a long time, and he does a great job. Thanks for being here. Michael, it's great to be with you. You are, in fact, the dean of interviewers, and it is really an honor to be with you today. So what's really happening in the office market? It was a good year in the fourth quarter, I heard. Yes. So, look. No question that year over year we were down. We total square footage leased in 23 was 18 million feet. But the call it the green shoot was Q4. Q4, we were over 5 million feet for the quarter. Had one of the biggest Decembers, frankly, in the last two years, 24 months, 2.6 million square foot square feet leased. Um, and we saw the financial service sector and the legal sector move in that last quarter to make some significant commitments but, to the But state. in reality, these leases were out there for about nine months, okay? Let, let's take the reality of this, okay? They started these deals perhaps last January, and they closed in October and November. Which, which one can attribute to the fact that big tenants were concerned about the overall economy, uh, they were watching interest rate movement rise rapidly, and in so doing, they wanted to take their time um, and see as much as they could about where the economy was moving. And in fact, some people pushed deals, and that's why I think 24 is going to be an even better year than 23. But yes, deals take long now to close. Tenants are in the driver's seat in some regard, but I'm going to tell you that's going to change because in the flight to quality and the bifurcation of the market, which is severe, we're going to run out of good product that's been reinvested in. Right. I, I mean, there's like the only 9% of availability on Park Avenue these days. Park Avenue had net positive absorption for the year. That's a pretty big statement in, in when you look at the, a large vacancy rate that we're dealing with overall. Now, what about the $100 plus leases and the $200 leases? We've had a larger number in the fourth quarter. We did. Quarter. We had one of our best Q4s ever when it comes to 
at the end of the day, $100 leases or more. And that is reflective of this bifurcation flight to quality, not able to get when, you, when you're really looking for over 100000 feet for a tenant, you can't get two hands worth of alternatives in the marketplace that are what you want to see. Okay. With, with regard to that, um, what's happening in the Hudson Yards and the far west side? Hudson Yards has had an extraordinary amount of success. When you look at the migration west to what we call the new Midtown West, um, between Related and Brookfield, there has just been, uh, I think, a dearth of quality product. They fill that uh, void, and hence you've seen the migration of tenants, both legal, county, law, and otherwise. What about the Penn Station area with regard to Penn? I think uh, that Penn Station is now the new gateway to Midtown West, and I think the investment that Vornado has made has been profound. The amenities that uh, and the curation of the retail that they're doing and the closure of 33rd Street is going to be phenomenal. It's the next sort of, I think, where you're going to see the market take off. What about Midtown? Okay, the Grand Central area. Ever since the Long Island Railroad started coming into Grand Central, I think people have been very happy and the market is strong. No question. Um, Grand Centrally located properties, one-stop properties with access to transportation, sitting on transportation hubs, near transportation hubs. These assets are really moving very, very uh, quickly. With regard to uh, what tenants are getting in concession and work letters, how much is is it rating? I think you're going to continue to see significant TI contributions, tenant improvements, um, and you're going to continue to see a month, a year for free rent. That's pretty much the norm these days. But what you're going to see is assets hit their pro forma or outperform based on this dearth of what we'll call Class A trophy reinvested in properties. What about the conversion of certain of these office buildings into residential? I think it's a tough thing to to convert. When you convert, you pretty much automatically lose 25% of the floor plate. I'm not an expert in residential, so I want to be clear on that. But the cost when you perform it out, I think the numbers are hard, I think, to reach. Uh, If you want to see affordable housing, which is a critical issue for New York's future, in my opinion, we're going to have to help subsidize it. And we're going to have to have the city legislature get on board uh, to support this. We do need affordable housing to keep the workforce in this city. The talent is what differentiates New York from other gateway cities. Uh, There was a quote recently in the press. uh, It was talking about the doom loop professor saying that uh, the world is getting better. In 2002, he said the world is terrible. So do you think the world is coming to much better times? I I think the world is... With regard to the office market. Yeah, Listen, office market has been in the past out of favor. Um, at the moment, I think it is going to regain momentum. Look at the following things. There's, there are key metrics to look at. Interest rate stabilization, I think we're seeing that. Um, if interest rates decline 50 or 75 bips, as is predicted, I think that's going to be a major driver in seeing interest um, move again in the office sector. Demand. Um, when people today make the choice to grow their business, You can talk about Miami, you can talk about other cities, you can talk about San Antonio, you can talk about marketplaces of interest, but to grow a business of size and scale, New York is the place to be. And that's because of the workforce, the educational system, all those things make New York unique. Hey, thank you so much for returning, Bruce Mosler, my eternal guest who's who's always with me, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Great privilege. Thank you, Michael. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back.
Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Catch Roundtable. What is today is Melinda Katz, the District Attorney of uh, Queens County in New York City. Melinda Katz, you were a great city council person, uh, you were a great zoning person, and you were a great borough president where you built more buildings in Queens than, uh, than anyone else. Uh, <laughs> Now you're district attorney. Tell me, I heard there's some big busts uh, happening in uh, in Queens. Would you fill us in on it? Sure, there are. There is a never-ending pursuit of ghost guns and weapons throughout my borough. I have a crime strategies unit that I hired when I became the district attorney. It is staffed with analysts and with ADAs and with detective investigators. And we're going after the guns. And just last week, on January, a few two weeks ago or so, on January 17th, After a uh, long-term investigation, we executed a search warrant for some of these homemade weapons. And we found not only ghost guns, we found a 3D printer. We not only found 600 rounds of ammunition. Uh, By the way, a scanner radio, which was set to the local precinct, to the 114th precinct, which is very dangerous. But we also found eight explosive devices that were homemade, added chemicals to it, very dangerous But we took them off the street. You know, part of my job is not only prosecuting, but it's also preventing these crimes and these these weapons from being used. Now, what were they going to use these guns for? Were they selling them to other people? Were they were? And you you had I heard that you even found some bombs. What what were they going to bomb? We did. We found we found eight explosive devices, like like real explosive devices. We also found, by the way, nine smoke bombs, which, as you know from history are usually used in order to detract attention from that location while other things are done. So we also found like what, what is, I guess, a manifest. It was a hit list, and the hit list was aimed at cops and judges and politicians and celebrities, and they had banker scum scrawled on it. And it really was amazing. There was some Charles Manson-type words on it as well, including animal sacrifices are forbidden, but human sacrifices are permitted, but only for the corrupt. And then it names, you know, people who they believed were corrupt. So we have no... Uh, Are you allowed to tell us any... Are you allowed to tell us any of those people yet? So they're listed in categories of murderers, in their opinion, politicians and judges that they were were on their hit list. And, you know, it's, it's remarkable that they, they never got to use these bombs, and I, and you know I have a great unit that you know makes sure that we investigate and get these off the street before someone can use it. But I have no idea what we thwarted, but we definitely did, and we're ongoing investigation. We'll make sure that we find out exactly uh, who it was. 
that they were. Now, I, I shouldn't be confused because there's bad people in every uh, segment of the community, uh, but I've never heard that much happen with Greeks. And uh, all I can say to them, shame on you. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I can say that in Greek too. I mean, uh, but uh, is this an, well, you know, uh, 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 is that happening more and more? So, John, you know, one of the real scary things about ghost guns and, you know, homemade explosive devices is you can buy them anywhere off the Internet. You can buy from like 100 different vendors, different pieces of weapons, of IETs, of explosive weapons, of ghost guns, and you can buy them so they're harder to track. And you can have them delivered right to your house from the Internet. And that's why I created the Crime Strategies Unit, whose sole responsibility is to investigate and try to get these weapons that people are building in their apartments. And it's in every neighborhood across the city. And, and, you know, we can only do what we do to investigate, find them, take them off the street before they're being able to be used. Well, Melinda Katz, thank you for letting everybody in, uh, uh, in our city know about it. What I'm surprised at is what happened uh, with the uh, seven or so migrants uh, or uh, uh, that that beat up those policemen. And I mean, I just there's just so much I can take. And in Queens County, we do the best we can in making sure that we you know prevent those crimes. I know you were also interested in fentanyl, John. I just would love your listeners to know how dangerous it is. You know, 75 percent of our overdoses in Queens County are due to fentanyl which is a synthetic drug that is made. And I just would like them to know that 50% of the people who die of overdoses in fentanyl are over the age of 50. So it has no bounds. So I would love to get that word out to your listeners. Melinda Katz, whether what I would do, I mean, I I can't believe these people would be selling things that would kill people. I, I would put them in jail for 20 years. I mean, I know that's not the law right now, and you have to obey the law. But that's well, I just give you my, my feelings. Yeah, we certainly prosecute, you know, uh, for fentanyl. And like I said, the reason that we know about it and are investigating it so deeply is because we prosecute them. And so we are getting them, and we're getting from where they also sell them from, other states, other cities, and coming into our city. We try to get them before they hit the street, and we'll continue to do that. In fact, in 23, the overdoses went down about 12%, at least in Queens County. And we're trying to do it every single day. Melinda Katz, District Attorney of Queens County, thank you so much, and uh, we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, John, very much. Good talking with you. The Katz Roundtable. With us today is uh, Josh Eisen. He has decided he wants to run for the U.S. Senate in New York State, and he's going to be running as a Republican. And I guess his opponent will be uh, uh, Gildebrand. Josh uh, Eisen, uh, good morning, uh, the Sunday morning. Tell us about yourself. Who are you? Well, first of all, good morning, John, and I'm honored to be here. I am a New Yorker through and through. I was born here, lived here all my life, never left. I own several successful businesses, and I think I'm proof that the American dream still is possible and uh, available for people in New York. Um, So I'm running against Kirsten Gillibrand to ensure that that opportunity exists for everyone else. And it's going to be a, an uphill battle. And have you ever run for any kind of office before? I ran as, a, as an independent for Congress a few years ago, um, but nothing um, as substantial as this. I have worked on several campaigns and do understand the mechanics of how uh, campaigns work. I'm also a member of the uh, board of uh, directors of the Pataki Leadership Center. I'm also a board member on the, uh, with the Guardian Angels, 
I uh, completed a PhD in religion and legal theory at Columbia. I did an MBA there as well. Uh, before that, I went to Queens College, and I grew up in Queens near St. John's, and now I live up in Harrison in uh, Westchester County. So that's me in a nutshell. I'm sure you have uh, more compelling things you'd like to know. There's a lot of things happening in our city, our state, our country. And I would say uh, uh, Kirsten uh, Gildebrand, I know her for a long time, and uh, and she's running. And the Democrats stick together. I mean, uh, Chuck Schumer, who is the uh, majority leader, I mean, they all vote together. So whatever Chuck Schumer says, Kirsten Gildebrand will do. Tell us the three big issues that all people in New York City, New York State should be looking at when they should decide if they should vote for you or Kirsten Gildebrand? Well, the three biggest issues and the ones I hear when I travel around the state, whether it's in New York City, Nassau County, up in Erie County or Anianta, anywhere I go, people are talking about the migrant crisis and they're blaming Kirsten Gillibrand, Kathy Hochul, Joe Biden for just having open borders and creating a situation where the migrants come in here and they're getting a deal that they didn't sign up for. If the migrants knew they'd be out in the cold or in tents at Floyd Bennett Field, I don't think they'd make the trek. And people around are suffering as a result, whether it's school closures or just an over-inundation of population around where people currently live. I think another very big, big issue around the state is the cost of living, housing costs, something that's really affecting a lot of people. Kirsten Gillibrand is sitting idly by while our Treasury and Fed make decisions that are devastating for working people in New York State and around the country, but especially in New York State. It's been quite devastating. And I think these are two certainly issues where Kirsten Gillibrand and I have very, very different views. Education is number one to you. And uh, how how do you feel about the border? Uh, Half a million people have left New York State because uh, they feel that, uh, uh, I guess, their taxes are too high. A lot of them felt that that uh, they didn't feel safe walking around. I mean, you tell us about that. Yeah, people are leaving. When people don't like the way things are going, they move away. There was a time that California was one of the most attractive places, and their their representation in Congress went from 22 people to 33 to over 40 in a matter of decades because people loved California. That was true for New York also. Now people don't love New York. It's overregulated, it's overtaxed, and the people are overburdened, and they're working way too hard and getting way too little. And when that happens for long enough, you're going to leave. And that's exactly what's happening beyond the problems with our educational system where people feel that centralized government is coming in and telling them how to educate their children. There's a lot of reasons why many people are leaving New York, but I still believe there are many great reasons to stay here. I love it here. And I'm not going anywhere, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight, and I'm going to make a difference. Now, one of the items is uh, when you're running for a big office like that, senator of New York State, 20 million people, uh, name recognition. I don't think uh, Kirsten Gildebrand has a big name recognition, and uh, you are just getting started. How are you going to get your name out there? I spend, um, you know, I spend quite a bit of time with uh, former Governor Pataki, and He has a very strong policy of how you beat an incumbent, and that is you beat the incumbent. You have to beat the champ. I'm not such an important player in all this. I'm I'm the Republican candidate, but Kirsten Gillibrand is the incumbent of 15 years. 
She's presided over 15 years of failure, whether it's housing, cost of living, now the migrants, just one failure after another because of her big government regulate, regulatory and high intrusion approach to making uh, people's lives miserable. So I think those 15 years and Kirsten Gillibrand's association with them is what I need in order to win. Obviously, some name recognition is critical, and that's why I'm on the radio here. And hopefully people will begin to learn who I am. And it's a hard battle, but I'm ready to fight it. Josh Eisen, thank you so much for coming on. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. And good luck in your race. Yes, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Paul Zuber. He is uh, our deep business consul of New York State, and uh, he makes sure he speaks out that the, the businesses get the fair, fair shake. Uh, Paul, what the heck is going on? Well, um, John, I think, you know, you and I have had many talks about out-migration and why people are leaving New York. And, you know, I, I was hopeful that when I saw the governor's budget and that the governor had put in language in her budget to deal with retail theft, putting some money to have task force, talking about changing some laws to make, you know, increasing some, some of the criminal penalties and really trying to get at retail theft. Well, along comes a bill by a state senator which seems to have the opposite impact. What she has decided to do, the state senator is Jessica Ramos from Queens, is she's decided, or it seems, or it feels like to me, to blame the employer for retail theft. So under her bill, it would require any retail employer to have to assess their store for violent crimes and risk of, and have to develop and implement protection plans for their employees. It would require the employer to pay for safety training for their employees, and if it's determined that there was ever some sort of crime or violent attack at the store, it would require them to pay for security guards. So just imagine if you're a small business and you have like 10 people in your store. Now you're paying for training because you're not going to be able to do the training yourself. You're paying for potentially serious security upgrades. You're going to have to pay for potentially a security guard which there are strict provisions in New York state law as to who can be a security guard. They beat up the security guards. They beat, they beat up the security guards. You're, you're absolutely and they, right. And they're beating because, up the cops. And, and they're beating up the cops. And I don't, this is like victim shaming, John. This is, this, is, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen before in my life. You're basically taking the burden and placing it on the employer. And I don't understand why anybody would do this? You know, I, I hear all the time from these legislators, affordability, affordability. We want to keep people in New York. Well, how do you expect to keep a business in New York? Already, the, the Bodega Association, which is a small business organization, has come out vehemently opposed to this bill because they say it's going to cost their members tens of thousands of dollars. And everybody listening to this radio show should understand that when you increase costs like that on employer – one of two things happen. Either they have to lay off employees or they're going to pass it on to the consumer. They're equating this bill to what happened in Buffalo. To me, that is absolutely disgusting because, first of all, what happened in Buffalo was about a, a young man who had some serious mental problems, who was a racist, who wore body armor and an automatic and brought in an automatic weapon to shoot people of color. 
And, oh, by the way, Topps did have a security guard that day. He was a former police officer. He tried to stop the, the gentleman who was shooting him, and he got shot and killed. So oh I don't God. understand how this even re- I don't understand how this even relates to the bill. It, to me, it's just it, I I just don't understand why Albany just doesn't get to the problem. Well, you know, I we can the... we can argue. Paul, yeah, go ahead, John. I'm sorry. I, a couple of days ago, there was a uh, bill passed, and it was bipartisan that they're going to deport some of the migrants that were Chinese soldier types. And mm-hmm. uh, in uh, 150 Democrats in Congress voted against it. I think they're yeah, deporting you know, it, them, but but that's what's happening. And I I told uh, uh, all the politicians in Albany. You know what I told them? Shouldn't we deport the the migrants that are beating up police officers? Well, you know, John, it's, it goes to the here's the, here's the ultimate problem is for our politicians have to stop playing to the media, playing to certain segments of the political population and start thinking about common sense and what is right. Okay, you know, we can we can debate why retail theft is going on until the cows come home. There's a lot there's a lot of reasons. There's there's some issues with some of the criminal penalties, there's an issue with not having enough cops, there's an issue with inflation, there's a lot of issues. But let's get at the issue. Don't put a bill in and all of a sudden blame the employers as if the employers, I don't know, wanted to have somebody rob them, wanted their employees hurt. And and most employers and, and having many, 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 many years ago worked in retail I actually worked in Macy's and Howard Square at one time in my life. I was a white flower back then. They tell you not to engage anybody who is stealing. The store tells you there's OSHA provisions, which stores have to follow. They tell you not to engage somebody who is robbing. That is for security to handle. So, again, I don't understand why you're trying to pass a bill that would put huge costs on employers who – who, who have done nothing other than provide products to their customers and have not asked to be robbed, have not asked for someone to come in and do something that, that, that's violent or, or hurt their customers or their employees. But now we're passing the burden on to them. That's why people are leaving New York, because we don't have common sense legislation. We don't think about what it means to everybody who's living here why people are getting tired of this, why people want to go to cities like Atlanta and why people want to go to Florida and why people want to go to North Carolina because they don't have to deal with this insanity. Paul Zuber, at certain point, the crap is going to hit the fan. I'm not allowed to say the other four-letter word on the radio. <laughs> so I use the word crap is allowed. The crap is going to hit, hit the fan because if people keep moving and they're replaced by people that we have to... You know, the people that are moving are the people that are making a couple hundred thousand and above. And we're, we're, we're replacing them with people that we have to pay. Well, well, we have to pay. And then here's, here's the, the worst part of it all is all these programs that many of the folks that are pushing these bills, all these programs that they want to fund that, are, that are in, frankly, are some good programs to help people who are less fortunate. Well, it becomes impossible to fund them if we don't have the tax revenue. But You're we're right. driving out our tax revenue. So it's, it's just madness, and it's crazy, and it has to stop. Paul Zuber, thank you for keeping people informed in, in New York City, New York State, and catch up with you again real soon. All right. Thank you, John. You have a great day. Sunday morning. 
we have Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky. And every Sunday morning, we look up in the sky and we said, what is going on? Well, Steve Cates tells us. Steve Cates, what should I be looking out for? What should I dream about? Well, John, it's great to dream, and we open people's minds here as we move into the month of February. But this pretty much today concerns itself with news from the planet Mars and spacecraft. Now, NASA says that there's potential or possible evidence for past life on Mars. We've heard this before at the DeZero Crater, where the Perseverance rover is roving around. Well, here's the information and the scoop on this. The latest scans from Perseverance and their penetrating radar which has gone down about 20 meters below the surface, has now the best evidence of sediment erosion in a large lake there. And it seems there that, of course, life may have existed, who knows, or water in the very past. So far, the rover, this is interesting, it's completed about 23 of these collection, you know, different vials of some 38 samples that they're going to use later to examine, hopefully in the future, the core samples. But, John, the amazing thing is water may still lie below the Martian surface. And maybe one day we'll finally get the answer to whether or not life existed and when. I find that at least interesting or promising. But what say you on this? Well, I, I think uh, something happened. There was a report a, a couple weeks ago that uh, a certain percentage of the Mars atmosphere is still escaping Mars. Yes, so there was there was some tragic something that happened on Mars to cause the atmosphere to uh, escape. And if there was more that much more atmosphere, I, I would say there was life. Uh, yes, or some John, kind of life. You know, if there's water yeah. and there's atmosphere, right. there was life. And I'm, I'm going right. to give you a joke now. Maybe, <laughs> okay. well, we've got to have a little bit of humor on a Sunday morning. Sure. Maybe, that was, maybe that was the planet Krypton. Maybe, <laughs> they, maybe, maybe they came from Mars to, to the Earth. I mean... Who built all those pyramids? It wasn't built by normal people. We can't build them today. You're, Who you're, built you're right, the Sphinx? John. I That's saw now they're estimating mm-hmm. the Sphinx is maybe as much as 12,000 years old in well, Antarctica. In yeah. Antarctica, which me and you have talked about a lot, there's, there might be a gigantic pyramid in Antarctica, and they estimate that Antarctica hasn't had... Uh, uh, ice for 12,000 years, or ha- has ice for 12,000 years. So I think there's a lot of mysteries that we still have to unwrap. You're right. And talking about one specific answer to something, what happened to the Mars atmosphere a long time ago is it lost its magnetic field. And that helped, John, to induce you know the loss or accelerate the loss of the atmosphere. But here's more Martian news. Here it goes again. After three years, the amazing Ingenuity helicopter, John, has flown sadly for the last time. Wow, so 72 flights on Mars. It is. It's amazing. It flew 72 times starting in April of 2021. But get a load of this. It was originally only set to fly, that is, five times over a month, but it actually got so many more flights, as we know. It flew a total of two hours. It flew over 10 and a half miles above Mars, some high as 40 feet. But this was a technology demonstrator, and that's interesting. It's a big difference between research. In other words, I just wanted to see if they could get it to fly. But, John, the atmosphere there we were talking about before is so thin that in order for that little tiny helicopter to rise above Mars, the tips of the blades were going 65% the speed of sound. But you got to say it, and we all agree, everybody listening, I'm sure, what a hell of an amazing piece of technology that is. 65% the speed of yeah. sound. That is Isn't that amazing? Um, Just that to get up amazing. into the Definitely upper atmosphere. Amazing. Now, the other thing is, about Mars, yeah, there are people who are saying 
that the two Martian moons, maybe that's where the people on Mars escaped to. You never know. There's yeah. theories about Deimos and Phobos, John. But here, I want to conclude, if we can, with the mystery of the week. We always talk about something I think really, you know, very amazing. So here we go. A question that comes out. How did the island chains in the Mediterranean form, and particularly probably some area that you know on the Earth, Santorini Island in the Aegean Sea? Well, most people think, well, they had some kind of volcanic activity. But, John, we're now finding out through geologists that something called the Santorini Super Submarine Volcano about 520,000 years ago exploded. Now, back on January 15, 2022, there was this massive undersea volcano called Honga Tonga. Well, this one, John, was 15 times, they estimate, the power of the Honga Tonga, which literally just carved out so many areas in the Mediterranean. But it sent, get a look at this, some 21 and a half cubic miles of rock and debris into the upper atmosphere. And both of these submarine volcanoes did something even more amazing. They sent gravity waves around the Earth, literally shaking the gravity of the Earth and actually perturbing the Earth almost that much as powerful, maybe even more so, than Krakatoa in 1883. So the power of Mother Nature continues. But look at it. It's like a replenishing effect on the planet, as we've talked about before. Wow, that's a real wow. The thing I want you to do some research about, and I was yes. reading it, that every 18,000 years, the Earth is turning over. And that's when in the last 18,000 years ago, possibly... Uh, Antarctica was uh, fertile ground. Uh, it could be very true, John. And we'll where do that where are we in the cycle? Yeah. Are we 100 years away or are we 10,000 years away? We're probably more like 10,000 years away, John. Every, everything that's happened in the geologic past, like the little ice age, not set to happen in our lifetimes. But again, we're on the other side of that. In other words, longer than shorter for the big, big changes. But here we go. In the live sky, John, we talk about the big total eclipse coming up, only 64 days going on, coming counting down on the clock. And yes, yours truly will be what? The MC, as we're proud of, at a big Texas Text Clips Music Fest in Junction, Texas, on Eclipse Day. That's April 8th. People can go to the Dr. Sky Experience where? WABCradio.com to learn much more about that as we want. Open and people's minds, John, on the things they don't normally hear. And we're going to be talking more about that eclipse and. Uh, we're going to be selling glasses that you can be able to view those eclipses. Absolutely, John. Always keep your eyes to the skies. And good to be with you on the Cats Roundtable as we begin February 2024. Thank you, uh, Steve Cates, Dr. Sky, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you, John. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. <laughs> With us today is former Governor David Patterson. And uh, Governor Patterson, what a mess we have in New York City, New York State. You were the governor. What the heck do we do? Well, I was very happy that the current governor really stuck her nose in on this latest issue involving the migrants who, by the way, were fighting with each other. And the police came in to try to help the ones who were getting hurt. And they wound up lying on the ground being kicked by eight different people that one of the officers kicked directly in the head and they arrest these people. Now, bail is a tough subject. People don't really understand it. Bail is not supposed to reflect the crime. So in other words, no matter what your crime is, even if it's murder, you could theoretically get bail. And the reason is because the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution basically uh, spells out 
that bail is to assure the presence of the defendant at the trial. So in this particular case, they didn't even have a bail hearing. They released these men in their own recognizance, which is supposed to mean that there's really no way they would leave the jurisdiction. They're going to stay and fight these charges. Well, the word is that they took buses to California or other places that some church gave them some money and they got out of here. So we'll never see them again. And so these assaults against the police officers will never actually uh, be redeemed in having a day in court to put to charge them with a felony assault on a police officer and let them spend their seven years. And hopefully, if they're convicted of that, to get the seven years, just deport them. That's what should have happened. And the fact that it didn't, I will say, I'm glad that the police officers are fine because I wouldn't have said this if one of them had unfortunately been killed or badly hurt. But maybe this is the right case for people to really start standing up and demanding more accountability from our government. Well, that I understand that passing a congressional law to deport bipartisan Democrats and Republicans to deport DUI cases, drunk driving while intoxicated or driving under the influence. Maybe that includes uh, drugs. I don't know the law they're passing. But if you do that for, for, for that, for the migrants, then how about beating up police officers? Well, I would hope that people who are in Congress took note of this situation and are writing that bill at this moment because I don't see how there'd be really any opposition to it. I mean, there always is some because uh, some people just we like should to find out. Governor, me, look, you, you know all the Democrats. I know all the Republicans. Maybe me and you should find out who these, uh, who the writers of those bills are, so we can at least talk to them. That'd be an interesting project. I'm happy to help. It, it's frustrating to see something like that happen, particularly when victims of crime, no matter who they are. Uh, should have a right to have the crime prosecuted. And it's not going to happen in this case because these people aren't coming back. And when they left the courthouse after being released in their own recognizance, they're giving people the finger and, and, and acting very antagonistically. What are they being antagonistic like? First of all, we let them into this country. And then they get into a fight in the Third, when the police try to break up the fight, they have no respect for law enforcement. And the police become the victims even more than the people that they were fighting. So it's just this is one of those situations where, as frustrated as we all are, there's no counterpoint to this. This is right, and somebody needs to do something about it. So I guess you and I might as well do it. Well, I think it's, a, it's the right thing to do. I mean, look, I, I believe in immigration. I think you believe in immigration. But we need some checks and balances. I mean, there are certain privileges that you have when you're a citizen and certain presumptions, particularly if you're in into court. But people who've come from other countries who you don't even know what their records are in those countries to come in here and get into a situation like that and then flee the jurisdiction and whoever raised money for them should really know that karma will, will address what they did. But it's just appalling to hear that this kind of a thing happened. Governor David Patterson, thank you so much uh, for coming on this Sunday morning and 
and uh, we'll talk real soon. We'll talk. We'll, we'll talk on Monday and see uh, uh, what we can come up with. Thank you so much. You know, John, I was feeling very calm. Now I'm all riled up. Have a great day. The Cats Roundtable. With us today is Gordon G. Chang. He is one of the experts of what's going on in China and Taiwan. And his Twitter is at Gordon G. Chang, if you want an up-to-the-minute report. Gordon, uh, give us an update. What is going on? The most important thing are the hearings that occurred on Wednesday. Um, We heard about China's cyber attacking. This was not for espionage or data theft. This was for attacking critical infrastructure. And we heard from a number of people, including FBI Director Ray, about China trying to take down our grid and the other critical aspects of our society. So there was a full airing of this, and it was good because this hasn't occurred for some time, where you've had a lot of senior officials in the same place, in the same time, talking about what China is doing. So what is the latest? I mean, I just got a a, a Twitter from uh, Elon Musk. He says uh, 150 Democrats vote against a bill to deport illegals. Well, this is saboteurs. The issue here is that we are seeing some very, very disturbing developments. If you go back about two or three years, the Chinese who were coming across our southern borders were primarily family groups, which was an indication that Chinese society was failing. Now we're seeing more and more packs of Chinese males of military age traveling without family members, pretending not to speak English. And U.S. Border Patrol knows that some of them are Chinese military. And we got to be extremely concerned because of that, for instance, that secret Chinese biological weapons lab at Reedley, California, that was discovered, which had at least 20 pathogens, including the one for Ebola, and almost a thousand mice had been genetically engineered to spread disease. So we have to worry that these people coming across our southern border are going to link up with facilities such as the one in Reedley that was discovered and release diseases throughout the United States. So clearly we've got to do something and we've got to do it very fast because there are a large number of these Chinese males in our country of very suspicious nature. We were talking about that the other day, uh, that we were fearing that they're, they're going to try to create a fifth column in our country. And uh, there's a concern that uh, if you have 300 soldiers type people they can, and they have machine guns, they could go out and wipe out Mayberry uh, or they can wipe out Hooterville. I mean, I'm just saying a small town with nobody being able to, to do anything about it. Yes, and there are these reports, which we have seen in the last couple of days, John, of Chinese migrants who've come into our country in the last three or four weeks taking target practice with AR-15s. So that is extremely disturbing. And when we're talking about the number of possible saboteurs from China, it numbers not in the hundreds and maybe not even in thousands. So we've got to be concerned that this is an extremely large force that is seeding themselves into this country, that China is creating the infrastructure for attacks on us by a fifth column. And 150 Democrats voted against them being expelled? Oh, my. Have they lost their mind? I mean, it's the nicest way I could say it. The economy in China, I heard, has problems. Is it worse than we think or better than we think? I think that it's worse than we think. Uh, China reported 5.2% growth for last year. But people who have studied the Chinese economy and who have previously had very optimistic assessments of it, such as the Rhodium Group, said, for instance, that China's growth last year was more like 1.5 percent. 
And also, one can make a credible case that it was essentially zero. So really what we're talking about here is economy which is underperforming. And John, even if it were growing 5.2%, it wasn't growing fast enough to be able to service the debt that China has accumulated. Just to give you a sense of the problems in the property sector, last September, a former Chinese official in the Statistics Bureau said that there were enough vacant apartments in China to house the entire population of 1.4 billion people. And some people think that it's actually greater than that, that it's 3 billion people. But we know that this is going to come to the fore because of the liquidation of Evergrande Group, which was ordered by a Hong Kong court last Monday. So there will be some sort of reckoning. China will try to prevent it, but nonetheless, I think that this is going to have a big effect on foreign investors. Enough to house 1.4 billion people? That is mind-boggling. Yes, sufficient to house 1.4 billion. And so who is financing? Who... You know, don't, don't assume we don't have all real estate experts on our show. Tell me, who was financing uh, to build these 1.4 billion apartments that are vacant? There is a number of reasons for it. One of them is that government China didn't want to have a 2008 downturn, so they overstimulated. And that resulted in basically free money for both state and private property developers. Also, because money is trapped in China because of the currency walls, people can't invest in, they're forced to invest in domestic assets. So vacant apartments have become sort of like currency. People buy it just to store value. And they say that about 70% of the wealth of the Chinese people is actually in the form of these vacant apartments. So there have been a number of reasons why this has occurred, but right now it's of crisis proportions. Almost as bad as having vacant office buildings because nobody goes to work in uh, some of our cities. I mean, it's crazy. Do you want to say one more thing about the apartments? I mean, is there any banks that are taking hits? Are there any banks that were stupid enough to lend money on it? All the banks were forced to do this because, remember, a lot of the local banks were under the thumb of provincial and municipal officials. And in order to keep growth up, essentially, uh, the government officials were working with developers to build these apartments. And that's why China has all of these vacant apartments. And that's why we see, for instance, these videos of apartments, buildings, being demolished because there's just no hope that they'll ever be uh, occupied. So there's no value in them? Correct. Well, there's actually even negative value when you start to think about it because it makes more sense for them to destroy these buildings than to keep them unoccupied. Any American banks involved? Not in this activity, no. But American banks have exposure in China because they felt that the Chinese economy would continue, but they will be burned to some extent. But this is basically the big four Chinese banks, some of the development banks, and a lot of the banks under the control of local and provincial officials. Last question. We understand that the Chinese maybe have the ability to launch a cyber attack against us. What do you hear? Well, certainly. And they've had that capability for decades. And the story here, John, is not that the Chinese can do this. The story is that the United States has known the Chinese can do this and has taken very few measures to protect networks. 
Our networks are vulnerable. This was demonstrated on November 25 when Iranian hackers took down a portion of the water system in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. And we saw hospital services in four states, including New Jersey, were affected by hackers. Other water authorities were also hacked. So clearly there is a concerted effort to go after critical infrastructure in the U.S. What I've been telling people that are building all electric buildings and all electric cars that the, my friends at Space Force have said to me that uh, the Chinese uh, have that button up in outer space. They can press that button and our infrastructure or grid goes down. Well, the Changs will be able to drive because we have a gas-powered Chevy Trailblazer. But yes, people who have electric cars are especially vulnerable to hacking because that's part of the grid. And people that have all electric buildings. And electric stoves and electric this and electric that. Yes, at a time where this is not one of peace, John, we should be thinking about resilience. And obviously we have a government in Washington that resilience is at the bottom of the list of priorities. Gordon Chang, thank you for bringing the American people up to date. And let's catch up again real soon. And I'll remind people, your Twitter is at Gordon G. Chang if they want 24-hour information. Thank you so much. Thank you, John. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.